Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. We are in a six-part six series, one chapter for each week. We've been through chapters one, two, three, and now we are in week four. And honestly, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Jude and Becky for giving me the opportunity to speak today. Ephesians chapter four is a really cool uh, chapter. Let's start here in verse one. We're going to start in the first six verses. That's going to be our key focus verses for the day. So I'm going to read this with you. you have your Bible with you this morning? If you have your Bible, say yeah. All right, I want to encourage everybody, don't come to church without the Bible because you get an opportunity to read it for yourself. Let's read in chapter four, verses one through six. Paul is writing and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all, through all and in all. I want you to jump down seven verses, verse 13. Paul continues to write and he says this, this will continue until, everyone say until. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of, the, of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So Paul is writing from a prison cell to the church in Ephesus, and that's where we get the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is really a, a, a letter, not just written to a church in a city, but it's written to the church, past, present, and future. So it's written to you and to me, and it's just as relevant today as it was when it was written. And the overarching theme in Ephesians is identity. Paul is writing to a people that have an identity crisis. And how many of you would agree that when you have an identity crisis, you inevitably will have a lifestyle crisis? Because when you don't know who you are, you'll live like you don't know who you are. When you don't know who you are, you don't know how to live. And so Paul is writing to the church because he wants them to solve the identity crisis that is causing them to walk in a way that they're not called to walk. Ephesians is best understood that, that is broken up into two sections, the first three chapters and then the last three chapters. The first three chapters, one, two, and three, which we've spent the last three weeks going over, is much more of a doctrinal, theological uh, writing that Paul, that Paul takes, which is essentially, this is, this is who you are in Christ. This is what God did for you. And as a result of what he did for you, this is now who you are. You are God's masterpiece created with a purpose. You have a new identity. It was not of your own works that you were saved, but by grace, through faith, God found you just as you are. And he wants you to experience his love. He wants you to trust him. And through that love and that trust, you will be strengthened in your inner man. Come on, that's who you are in 
Christ, not by any of our own works, but simply because of who he is. And when we know who he is, someone say, amen, we know who we are. That's, that's how we know who we are. But then in chapter four, Paul makes a shift and he begins to write in a different perspective for the last three books of, of, of uh, Ephesians. And really this is more of the practical response, our response to what God did for us. So you can say it like this, the first three chapters is who we are in Christ. The last three chapters is how we live in Christ because he loves you where he finds you, but his love is too good to leave you where he found you. Now there's a new way to live because of our identity in Christ. And so that's where we are today, starting in chapter four, where Paul begins to connect who we are with how we live. He's connecting the two. And that's not because our actions bring a new identity. It's actually the opposite. Our identity should bring new actions in our life. Who you are in Christ now needs to begin to guide your actions and your ethics as believers. So I wanna preach a message this morning titled, living worthy of the calling. Would you say that with me? Say living worthy of the calling. Say it one more time, living worthy of the calling. Now, I, I love preaching uh, to a church that's responsive. Uh, if you're just staring at me like you don't wanna be here, well, then I don't wanna be here, right? So, uh, so, so, so lean in with me here, but I'm just gonna be honest with you from the, from the get-go. Some of the amens are probably gonna be a little harder to get out today because I'm coming, I'm coming right at you. Uh, I'm, I'm following the words of Paul to say, hey, listen, uh, we've talked for three weeks about how much God loves you, but now it's time to start talking about what God expects of you as a believer and as a follower of Christ. So get ready to lean into it, okay? So Paul, let's just start here. Let's, let's read the first six verses again. Can we do that? Let's go back to uh, verse one, starting in, in chapter four. He says, I therefore, just a little help in, in Bible study. Um, this, is, this is an old adage. If you ever see the word therefore, pause and wait and look and see what that word is therefore, right? Uh, therefore is always a, a response. It's almost like because of or as a result of. Paul is connecting his next thought with his last thought. He's saying, therefore, as a result of who you are in Christ, because of what Christ has done for you, now I am urging you in a new lifestyle. Look what he says here in verse one. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling. Come on, we're living worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to that one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Therefore, as a result of what Christ has done, I am now urging you as a prisoner in the Lord to walk worthy in, in, a, in a manner that's worthy of the calling. The NIV says to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. I wanna pause just for a moment on this idea of Paul saying, I wanna urge you 
to walk worthy. This word urge is, is, is a strong word. Some translations will say, I beseech you. Other translations will say, I exhort you. I compel you. It's a, it's a, I am wanting to convince you as a result of what Christ has done and, and where he's calling you. I am urging you, brother and sister. I am urging you, believer. This is not a message to the world. This is a message to the church. I am urging you. In light of who God is, this is who you are called to be. This, this, this word urge is, is like an, it's an encouragement, strength, like, come on, let's go. Anybody ever talk to themselves? Anybody? So I talk to myself uh, all the time. You know where I talk to myself the most is when I'm playing sports. I'm t- I talk to myself, like, and I'm always urging myself to play worthy of the call. Like, like I've, I set a standard for myself. And normally that standard is you don't have to be the best, but you gotta be better than whoever you're playing with. You know, like that's, that's my standard. And right now uh, I play golf. That's probably what I play the most. And so I, I have pep talks I, when I'm driving on into the course, like when I'm putting on my shoes, when I'm swinging on the range, I'm like, like, Steve, I urge you today to play worthy of the call that's on your life. You don't have to be the best on the course, but you got to be better than the other three people that you're playing with. Come on, Steve. Remember who you are. You're a bulls, and we are winners, and we play better than other people. I'm urging. I'm talking to myself. And then those first couple holes, like, I, you know, if I hit something bad, anybody who's played with me knows, I'm like, dang it, Steve, come on. You're better than this. I urge you, Steve, play worthy. Play worthy of the call. And and I got to remember, I have a standard that I've set for myself, but I always say, Steve, remember, you, you pay to play this game. You're not paid to play this game, right? So like, have a little grace. But by the end of like, you know, 16, 17, 18 holes, depending on who I'm playing with, I'm beginning to urge myself to, to talk worthy of the call on my life. Like, Steve, remember, you're not called to be a golfer. You're, you're a Christian. You're a pastor. Like, talk and play worthy of that, Steve. Like, I talk to myself, it's an, it's an urging. It's like, come on, kind of like last night, my wife was urging me not to wear this shirt. She was urging me, but I'm a grown man and I wear what I wanna wear. You know what I'm talking about. This, this word urge actually is the word parakaleo, which you'll see other times in scripture as well. And it means to come alongside. And so get the image like this. It's, it's like when a coach were to come over to you and not just shout instructions or encouragement to you from across the field, but when he really wants to get a point across, he would come up and wrap his arms around you and say, come on, you're better than this. Come on, just like we practiced. Come on, you can do this. Come on, this is your new identity. Come on, you're not who you used to be. You're somebody new. Paul is literally coming to the church and he's wrapping his arms around us and saying, I am urging you, child of God. I am urging you, son and daughter, to remember who God has called you to be. Now walk and live in a worthy manner of that calling. And so he's coming alongside of us. Now, it's a little bit of an interesting phrase. Maybe if you could bring up uh, verse one again uh, in, in chapter four, he says, I am urging you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It's a little, it's a little strange the way it's worded, right? Uh, the NIV would say it like this, call, walking worthy or living worthy of the calling that you have received. What Paul is doing in laying this out is he's saying, yes, you have been 
called. God has chosen you. You're not, you're not in a tryout. You're not, you're not trying to prove any kind of worth. You have been called. But just that you, just because you've been called does not mean there's not something else that we are living for in the future because there is a calling for which you have been called. There is a future. There is a destination. There is something that God is calling you to that you could have never reached on your own. So he called you, but don't stop trying now. Don't stop working now. Don't turn in now because there's still a calling ahead of you that you've been called to walk worthy of that calling because you have been called. It would be similar to this idea of already and not yet. Like I could buy land in Oklahoma today. I never would. I don't know why anybody would, but I could buy land in Oklahoma today, right? And it would legally be mine. But until I travel into the middle of the country and I walk on that property, I won't fully experience or enjoy that even though it's already mine. Does that make sense? So Paul is saying, you have been called, that's settled, but there is a calling. There is a place that God is calling you to and I want you to walk worthy of that calling. And so he's laying out this motivation because we all need a motivation, right? To keep going. We all need a motivation, something to set our eyes on something to keep us going when the going gets tough. Even Jesus, it says that he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. He had a motivation. He had something he was looking at. There was a calling that he was aware of that caused him to do the hard thing when they did to do, to do the hard thing when it would have been better to do the easy thing. And do you know what the joy was that was set before Jesus? It was me. It was you. It was seeing us come to faith in Jesus Christ that he was able to continue to go forward and endure even the hardship. And so Paul is saying, listen, in light of chapters one, two, and three, who we now are in Christ, I'm urging you to begin walking in a manner that is worthy of the fact that you have been called by Christ and he is calling you to another place. And so I just want to pause just for a moment before we get into some of the practical parts of this message. And I want to encourage you, maybe no one has ever told you that you are called, but I've, here to, I've, I've come to tell you on behalf of Jesus that you have been called. Now, I don't mean you've just been, you've been called to a particular career or you've been called to a particular passion project. That's a common phrase, right? I'm just, I'm waiting for my calling. I'm praying and asking God for my calling. Basically, you're just like, God, where am I supposed to make my money? That's what we're thinking, right? What's my calling? What's my purpose? But no, 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 your calling is way, way bigger than that. Calling, another good word for calling is that you've been, you've been chosen. And that's important for, for somebody, maybe a bunch of somebody's in here to hear. Because maybe you feel like you've always been last picked, or maybe everywhere you've ended up, you kind of felt like you were put there by default and you never felt like you were the one that was selected or you were the one that was wanted. And so now you've just kind of been existing. You know, recently they had the NFL draft and I love those videos of, of these young athletes who have worked their whole lives and they're sitting on a couch surrounded by family and friends. And what are they waiting on? They're waiting on a call that says, we have selected you. The Jets have chosen you. The Bucks have chosen you. The Rams have chosen you. You can see the joy in their face and you can see the, the, the energy light up in their eyes. Why? Because they have been called. They've been chosen. I think many of us live our lives when it comes to what the gospel or when it comes to Christ and we think of ourselves as walk-ons. What are walk-ons? Those are people who didn't get chosen, but they go and walk on and they prove their worth and they prove their, their skill and they prove their work 
ethic and eventually maybe they'll be let on. You are never gonna walk into the kingdom of God on your own energy. You're never gonna be good enough in your own to be selected. But God said, I called you, I chose you right where you are. And because I chose you, that is motivation enough to go, you can walk worthy of the call that I've placed on your life because I chose you. You have been called with a call that is bigger than your past, your present, and your future. You have been called to salvation. Come on, you've been called to be a son and a daughter of the king. You have been called to healing. You have been called to freedom. You have been called to worship. You have been called to conquer and overcome. You have been called to dream and to have vision. You've been called out of darkness and into light. You've been called out of despair and into hope. Come on, you've been called out of hopelessness and you've been called into a hope-filled life. You've been called out of death and you've been called into life. You were called and not of your own works. You couldn't do anything about it, but God chose you and God called you. You are called, but that's just chapters one through three. And so Paul says, based on the fact that you have been called and he convinces us, he lays us out, man, God has been good. He has called you, you are his masterpiece. He's filled you with his strength and filled you with his love. And, and then our response should be, well, Paul, that's an amazing gift that God gave to us. What should our response be? What can we do for this as a response to what God has given us? Can we, can we preach more sermons? Can we, can we sing more songs? Can we, can we give more money? Can we share more Christian memes on all of our social media accounts? What can we do for the kingdom of God? We wanna respond out of our thankfulness. And Paul says, do you really? Do you wanna respond? If you really, really do, and you really recognize how good of a gift this was, then this is what I need you to do. Get along with one another. Paul, there's gotta be something more admirable I can do. <laughs> there's gotta be something else. I mean, you know who's sitting next to me right now. No, 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 no. Like, listen, if, if, if you really wanna respond to the gospel, you really wanna walk worthy of the calling that you have as the body of Christ, you need to live in unity with one another. Hmm, he's coming right for the jugular right away. Surely there was, I'll go into Bible school. I'll go on a mission trip. I, you know, what do you want? I will download another Maverick City album. They come out with one every other week. Like, what do you want me to do? I want you to live in unity as believers. Okay. I want you to live in unity in the church. Why is living in unity the call? Because that's what's going to get us to that calling that we're called to. Verse 13, remember we read this. He said, this will continue until, everyone say until. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith. This isn't just your faith. This is our faith. That's the beautiful thing about Christianity. It's a collective faith. You've been called into a family. This will all continue until we come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son, that we will be mature in the Lord, and this is crazy, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. God did not come, die, raise again, just to save you from hell. He came to save you and to empower you to eventually measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And this is the journey that we're on. Now, let me just say, you're never gonna reach the full, complete standard of Christ until you stand before him in heaven one day. 
But this entire journey until that day is to become more and more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. He's our Messiah. He's our rabbi. He's who we follow after. The whole reason we become Christians, the whole reason we commit our life to Christ is to become more like him. And so Paul says, you wanna become more like Jesus? It starts here. Live in unity among the body of Christ. And so I just wanna encourage you, the next few things we're gonna talk about practically they're beautiful attributes to live and, and operate in with everybody in the world, but specifically you are being called to these things within the body of Christ. And the reason is because it takes the community of faith to reach unity in the faith. And so Jesus is coming back and I don't know when it is, but when he comes back, the bride is supposed to be ready for him. And you and I are the bride, we're the body of Christ. And Jesus is not coming back for a broken church. He's not coming back for a weak, demoralized church. He's not coming back for a malnourished, immature, underdeveloped church. He's not coming back for an egomaniacal, self-centered, it's all about me church. Jesus is coming back for a powerful church. He's coming back for an overcoming church. Listen, he's coming back for a mature church. He's coming back for a grown-up church. He's coming back to a faith-filled church. He's coming back to a unified church. He's coming back to a humble, gentle, patient church that bears with one another in love. What is he coming back for? A pure bride. In this walking worthy in the, of the manner in which we've been called is about purifying who the church is. And that, call, that takes a, a denying of ourselves and becoming more like Jesus. He's coming back for that pure bride, a church that lives in unity with one another. And so for the next few moments, it won't be long, but I wanna talk about the three things that Paul lays out here in these next few verses that we need to embrace and understand in order to walk worthy of the call or to live in unity in the church. Are you ready for this? Come on, you wanna know how to walk worthy this morning? So three things, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. The first thing that we need to embrace and recognize about walking worthy of the call of God on our lives is we have to, number one, be restrained in the Lord. This is the point out of these first out of these three that I dislike the most. And, I, and I'm just gonna be honest with you here. Look at what it says. Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord. Everyone say prisoner. I, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. The Greek word for prisoner here, actually, it, it, it literally means that which serves as a restraint or a bond. In chapter three, one chapter before this, Paul introduces himself as a prisoner for Christ. And then one chapter later in chapter four, he's saying, again, I, Paul, as a prisoner in the Lord. Now we do know that, Christ, that Paul is writing this letter from a jail cell. So he is a, a, in a physical prison as a result of serving Christ. But when he introduces himself a second time here, specifically when he's made a shift to begin to talk about how we are to live for Christ, 
He, he is not, again, referring to the fact that he's in prison. He's actually telling us something else. Because in chapter three, he was saying, yes, my body is in prison. But in chapter four, he is most, he is most clearly saying that I am truly controlled in my life for the fact that I am in the Lord. Because if you translate most precisely word for word, even though the, the ESV says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord, actually the best translation is I'm a prisoner in the Lord. So I'm gonna give you a couple examples when you look at Paul's other writings. First Corinthians chapter eight, what did, what did Paul say? He says, I am, I, I am free to eat whatever I want, but because I love my brother, if it causes him to sin or causes him issues, I choose to be restrained in what I eat because of my love for him. In 1 Corinthians chapter nine, he says, I've already determined that I will become all things to all men for the simple fact that I want to win some to the Lord. And so what is Paul saying? He said, I am, because I'm a Christ follower, I am restrained in my everyday life because he's the one who gets to determine how I live. Paul refers to Jesus as Lord 26 times in Ephesians. 20 of them are in the how to live chapters of Ephesians, chapters four through six. It's interesting, if you look, at, if you look uh, at the Greek, what you'll find is every time G uh, Paul refers to Jesus as Christ, he's referring to what he's done for us in salvation. Every time he refers to Jesus as Lord, he's teaching us how to live for Christ. Why is that important? Because Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. We receive him as Savior so that we can be saved. We receive him as Lord so that he can tell us and determine how we should live our lives. When we sign up for following Christ, we are saying, if you want my heart, it's all yours. Not just the lovey-dovey moments, thank you for saving me. But when you say you're too prideful, it's time to humble yourself, humble yourself, you say, yes, Jesus. When you say, when you say this, this, this is out of line, this isn't like me, you say, okay, Lord, I wanna become more like you, less like me. Paul is so determined because of his commitment to Jesus Christ. He says, I am restrained in the Lord from just living however I want to live. And I wanna make this statement here. The reality of the gospel message restrains us from being who we want to be in our flesh and compels us to be who he calls us to be by the spirit. So how do we practically live this out? Paul tells us humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. Let's start with humility. Humility is the restraining of our ego and our pride. It's recognizing areas of our life where we have been elevating ourselves to the most preeminent person in our life and going, I'm no longer going to be the self-centered person that I once was. I'm going to restrain the desire to be the most important person in my circle. Specifically, it begins to address the issue of your thinking. Most of the time, everything we process through is how does this affect me? How does this make me feel? How does this affect my future? How, how does this impact me? And listen, we live in a culture and a society where everything is pointing towards you. This is my truth. This is my future. This is my identity. This is who I wanna be. This is how I understand it. This is how it makes me feel. And let me just be honest with you that individualism and self-centeredness are enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. Jesus never calls us to live our truth. He never calls us to be who we wanna be. He never calls us to 
say and do and feel and plan based around what, how this affects me. He always tells us to first put our eyes on Jesus and then also to consider others as greater than ourselves. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just putting your thoughts more on God and somebody else. And I think it's interesting that Paul addresses humility first because if you don't get humility under control, if you aren't able to restrain your ego, if you're not able to restrain your pride, there's no way you'll ever be gentle. There's no way you'll ever be patient. There's no way you'll ever be willing to bear with somebody in love because you're the most important person to you. But he says, I, a prisoner in the Lord, I am restrained because of who I've chosen to be in light of what Christ has done for me. I'm telling you to embrace humility, restrain your ego, restrain your pride. Pride will always throw off restraints. Humility embraces restraint of yourself for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Keola called me several times this week while I was at work working on this message. And she would say, hey, Steve, how you doing? How's the message coming along? And I'd tell her, I don't know what's going on. This message is brutal. I don't know how to write this thing. It's taking me forever. I'm just like, it's one of those things where I was just laboring over it. It was like, God, what are you trying to say? Where's the common thread? And uh, if you've ever prepared a message before, maybe you kind of know what that's like. And I kept telling her, I don't know what the problem is. And I told her last night, I figured out what the problem was. I don't want to preach this stuff. <laughs> I don't. Give me chapter three, give me two. I wanna talk about how you're a masterpiece. If, first of all, I know you're gonna amen that. Second of all, you know, it makes me feel better about myself. And I started realizing like, I don't wanna be humble. I don't wanna be patient. I don't want to be gentle. I don't want to bear with one another. Why? Because it restrains my impulses and I love my impulses. I mean, can I just have a human moment with you? I hate rules. I don't like rules. Most rules I think are suggestions. That's really how I, because there's probably a better way. And I'm just gonna be transparent with you here. I'm, I'm somebody like, if it's a stupid rule, I'm gonna, fi- I'm gonna find a reason in scripture to say why I don't need to follow that. Like whenever COVID was first a big deal and you'd walk into a grocery store and there'd be these arrows on the, on the ground that says you have to walk only this way and only this way. I was like, peace, Keol, I'm going this way. You know, like, and she loves rules. She's like, but the arrows say, I'm like, I'm sorry, not doing it. You ain't gonna restrain me. You know, like, like that's why I, I, I was like, I'm gonna wear two of these shirts. You know, like when she, ain't gonna restrain me, not me, Keola. No, no, I don't. Maybe I, you know why I wore this? I, I just, it occurred to me why I wore this shirt. I kept looking at all of our church family that was in Hawaii last week while I'm here. And I'm like, well, whatever. I hate restraint. I hate it. I don't like, I want to be who I feel like I want to be in the moment. But humility, like Jesus is going to say, I know you feel like this right now, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of unity in the body of Christ, restrain your ego, restrain your pride. Then he said, be gentle, be gentle with one another. Goodness, I do not like this verse. (laughs) When we are gentle, we are restraining our temper and our aggression. We're saying you can't have your way in me. You can't just run wild in me. You know, a healthy relationship can never exist under force or threat or coercion. It can only exist under gentleness. Whether that's a marriage relationship, relationship between children and their parents, you can get things done by being forceful, but you can never have a healthy relationship by being harsh. It's gentleness. 
And within the body of Christ, we are called to have healthy relationships with one another. Otherwise, we will never attain to the standard by which Christ has set out for us. We cannot grow. We cannot become mature. We cannot become more like Christ if we're gonna try to force and coerce one another into our way of doing things. He's calling us to a gentleness. And that gentleness is showing a high value to someone else around you. Now, it doesn't mean be apathetic. It doesn't mean lean back. It doesn't mean move away. Listen, anybody have a desire here today to nurture people in the love of Christ? Anybody have a desire to see people discipled to become more like Jesus Christ? As a church, we, our prayer is not that you would come in and get saved and leave, but that you would continue to grow and become like Jesus. That's gonna take discipline. That's gonna take leaning in. That's gonna take speaking truth in love. But God has called us to a disposition of gentleness, not force and threat, someone say amen. amen. Then he says, be patient. Oh goodness, I hate this one. Be patient. Patience is a restraining of your frustration and hear this, and your need for control. Ugh. Your need for control. Somebody asked me uh, on social media this past week, what's the, what's the hardest part about being a parent? And, uh, and I said, you know, there's, there's a lot of great things, a lot of challenges, but right now what I'm finding is the hardest part is learning how to give space and freedom to our teenager. And, and the reason is, is because you feel like you aren't able to control. But going back to the gentleness, if my desire is to force, I will lose healthy, healthy relationships. But patience is embracing the fact that I don't need to be in control of this outcome or this timeline. And it's unrealistic to believe that anybody should operate within your timeline, right? God certainly doesn't. If God's not gonna operate in my timeline, why would anybody else, you know? Like, the, 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 it's, it's this patience, this leaning in. I wanna read you this quote by John Christostom when he talks about patience in regards to the soul. He says, a lack of patience reflects a narrowness of your soul. Patience is the exercise of a largeness of soul that can endure annoyance and difficulties over a period of time. Patience speaks of this large soul that is able to endure over time, even when it's difficult or annoying. Come on, humility, gentleness, patience with one another in the body of Christ. And then he says this, bearing with one another in love. This one's hard. This is the restraining of your desire to quit and give up on somebody. Come on, we've all had that moment, like I'm done. <laughs> I am done. I've gone three steps past when I wanted to for the sake of the gospel, but now I'm done. You know, like, like I didn't love them where I found them. I was, my love was not good enough to get them out of there. You know, like I'm just like, look, they've taken my heart and my soul and my spirit. I'm done. No, bearing with one another in love is the restraining of your desire to say, I'm done with you. I've given up on you. I don't have anything left for you. No, we, we bear with, it literally means, this phrase means to put up with one another because of your love. Another powerful quote by a guy named Klein Snodgrass. If you ever feel bad about your name, you're not <laughs> Snodgrass. He says this, love, agape love, which is what this is talking about in verse, in verse two. It says that it does enjoy the other person, but it does not exist for enjoyment. God has not called you to love people because of the joy you get from it, though you do get joy from loving people. 
But if that was why he called you to it, the moment the joy stops, you're out. And that's why a lot of marriages end because we were loving because of the joy we were getting out of it. But this agape love that we're called to is not the love, it does enjoy people, but it doesn't exist for enjoyment. It actually says this, it says, it is not a feeling or an emotion. It's an act of the will and it's always costly. Let me tell you something right now. If you're gonna be part of the body of Christ and you're gonna live worthy of the call on your life within the body of Christ, be prepared, it's gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost you moments where you wanted to speak up and you wanted to rebut. It's gonna cost you moments where you wanted to give in, you wanted to give up. It's gonna cost you moments where you wanted to be, you wanted to be aggressive, you wanted to lose your temper, but you had to, you had to yield. It's gonna cost you moments where you, wanted to, where you wanted to just quit and move on with your life, but you felt compelled to be patient. It's gonna cost you something, but you do it because of the love that you were first loved with by Christ. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, they're not even Paul's ideas. They're actually modeled in Jesus, who is our example. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus says, I am humble and gentle in heart. In 2 Peter chapter three, it says, the Lord is patient towards you. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love never gives up. In fact, it bears all things. Listen, restraint in the Lord is not a bad thing. Being restrained in the Lord actually is what keeps you towards the goal and the calling for which you have been called. There's a, there's a Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no prophetic vision, one translation says people perish, but most translations say this, where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraints. When there's no goal, when there's nothing set before you, when there's nothing that you're going towards, when, when there's no prophetic vision in your life, you will cast off restraints and you will perish. But for those who have their eyes fixed on the prize, for those who are going towards where God has called them to, the Bible says they will embrace restraint in the Lord because that's what pushes them and calls them and leads them towards where he's actually called them. And that's exactly what Paul's doing in chapters four, verses one through three. He's presenting the motivation. Listen, I am restrained in the Lord and I'm here to remind you that you have been called, you are being called. And in verse 13, he says, we are all headed towards the standard for which Christ laid out before us. And if we want to get there, the goal is there. We must embrace the restraint that the Lord brings on us. Come on, walk in humility, walk in gentleness, walk in patience, bear with one another in love so that we might do one thing, keep the unity of the church. Restraint enables us to obey God instead of being a slave to our impulses. You wanna find yourself in a world of hurt in a place you never thought you'd be? Obey every impulse that you have. But if you wanna go and find yourself in the ultimate call that God has for your life, embrace the restraints that he places in our life. They are not to keep you bound, they are actually to liberate you, to bring you into the fullness of life that he's created for you. Someone say amen. Amen. All right, I wanna invite the keys to come up uh, and we're gonna wrap this thing up in just a second. So if we wanna walk holy and worthy of this manner that we've been called to in our lives, we need to be restrained in the Lord. Number two, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Everything I just talked about is not just hard, it's impossible. 
<laughs> like, you're like, okay, if you'd stop the humility, maybe I could focus on that. But then you brought in three other things and I'm like, I'm done. I'm already, how many of you guys are already exhausted listening to me? You're like, I got beat up at church today. You know, like he came at me from three different angles and I'm thinking about checking out a new church is kind of what I'm thinking about <laughs> tomorrow. First of all, you need a church that will challenge you and you need a church that will call you to higher levels. If you're coming to a church because they say all the things you wanna hear, you're the Lord of your life. It's not Jesus. We need to be restrained in the, Holy Spirit, restrained in the Lord. And it's, it's impossible in our own strength. So we need to recognize that we are to rely on the Holy Spirit to actually accomplish any of these things. Try all you want. You can be humble for a few weeks, but eventually your, your own self is gonna get the best of you. Same thing with gentleness, patience, bearing with one another love. Actually in 2 Corinthians, Paul says he counts it all joy when he gets to the end of his own strength because it's actually in that place he finally gets to sense what it is to walk and enter into Christ's strength. And so we're called to humility and patience and bearing with one another but it's only gonna happen when we rely on the Holy Spirit. When Paul's writing to the church in Galatians, the very next book, he actually begins to write out the fact that there are fruits that come from us having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And those things are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or dare I say, restraint in the Lord. We can do this when we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We can only walk worthy of God's call through the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul talked about urging, parakaleo, coming alongside of you. When Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit coming to the church, he called the Holy Spirit the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of you and strengthens you. And so when those moments come where you have to choose humility or you have to choose gentleness or you have to choose patience, it's gonna be very, very important that you learn how to say, I need you right now, Holy Spirit. I need you right now, because if I try to do this on my own, I'm gonna mess it up. Holy Spirit, empower me, strengthen me, lead me. I yield to you right now. Produce patience in me. Produce gentleness in me right now. It's this walking and living, and it's almost like a dance with the Holy Spirit as he produces these things in your life. But specifically, what did it say? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Then it says, make every effort or be eager to keep the unity of the spirit. That word keep there, I wanna be very clear. It does not mean to create unity. It actually means to watch over, to guard, to cause, to continue. That word for unity is a very unique word and it doesn't just mean oneness. It actually means a unity that only the spirit makes possible. So I just wanna remind everybody right now, because there's a lot of talk about being unified in the body of Christ. The body of Christ has never been charged by God to create unity. We can't. We have been invited to steward the unity that God created and that he invited us into. One of the things that I love most about the church, one of the things that makes the church, and even in a natural sense, the most beautiful organization and living thing on the planet is the diversity of the church. 
The Bible talks about when the church finally does reach that full standard and measure of Christ, when we stand before God, there will be people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue the most diverse thing you'll ever experience in your entire life. But even within just city church, which is a small fraction of the church, the amount of diversity within our church, I mean, think about it. There are different backgrounds, different nationalities. There are different hobbies. There are different interests. There are different skills. There are different gifts. There are different hopes. There are different dreams. There are different plans. There are different visions. We are a diverse people. We could never in the natural create unity. We could not do it. To find a common thread amongst all of these different types of people, we needed the Holy Spirit to create unity and invite us into it just to steward and walk alongside it. So it's gonna take the help of the Holy Spirit. So when you don't want to be humble with somebody that you are diametrically opposed to, when you don't want to be gentle with that person who's never gentle towards you, when you don't want to be patient with that person who takes forever. <laughs> you ever been on the phone with that person and they're just like, you just like, please say goodbye. Please just say goodbye. <laughs> whenever you don't want to bear with one another or whenever you want to give up on one another, we have to sit back and go, Holy Spirit, I need you to produce this thing in me. This is not the unity of the body. This is not the unity of Steve. This is not the unity of City Church. This is the unity of the Spirit. He creates it. He calls us to come in and steward it. We restrain ourselves in the Lord. We rely on the Holy Spirit. And then finally, number three, we remember what unites us. We remember what unites us. Verse three, it said, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond, everyone say bond, in the bond of peace. What is the bond that we share? What is it that binds and unites and brings the church, these diverse people together? Ephesians 4 verses 4 through 6 lays it out. Well, there's one body. Well, there is one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Listen, it doesn't take any effort to look around and figure out what separates us. It is not challenging to figure out where we differ. It is not a, you don't have to go on a search to discover what's different about you and I. In fact, there is not a social media platform on the planet that has an algorithm to help you find the people that are most like you. Everything is designed to point and elevate the differences and the divisions among people. And the same is normally true within the church. It is not hard, which is why Paul says, make every effort, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Put attention, put effort, Put focus into the fact that I need to know and remember and rehearse and you re and, and, and regather and keep in the front of my mind and right in the center of my focus what it is that unites me with everybody else that I'm called to live in unity with. And what is that bond of peace? I can tell you it's not politics. 
It's not education. What bonds us together is not our race. It's not our nationality. It's not our gender. It's not our demographic. Our bond of peace is one thing. And the Bible says that it's one body. It's one spirit. It's one hope. It's one Lord. It's one faith. It's one baptism. It's one God, Father, and of all, who is in all, through all, and for all. That's what unites us. We need to come around and remember and rehearse and recite and focus our attention on, yes, we look different in many ways, but the Holy Spirit has created a unity and God is what unites every one of us. And when we lean into that, we will begin to walk worthy of the call that God has placed on our life. Listen, we might not like the same style of music, but we worship the same God. We might not wear the same clothes, but we serve the same God. We might not have the same humor, but we love the same God. We might not have the same dreams, but we honor the same God. We might not have the same history, but we are headed to the same eternity in God. This life is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about City Church. This life is about one person, and his name is Jesus Christ, who you and I have received forgiveness and grace and mercy from. And therefore, we turn and we lay down our preferences. We lean into the Holy Spirit, and we walk in humility and gentleness and patience, and we bear with one another in love, that the Holy Spirit might continue his unity through the body of Christ because we are bonded together in the oneness of who our God is. Someone say, amen. I want you to stand to your feet this morning and I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for you. We have been called. We've first been called to salvation. And in just a moment, if you've never yielded and surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm gonna give you that opportunity. This is where it starts for every believer. It's not working your way into something. It's not proving your way into something. It's just simply recognizing that you need a savior and Jesus is calling your name. And we simply respond by receiving Jesus as our Lord and as our savior. But once we've been called to salvation, we need to recognize that the calling continues and we are called to become more like Jesus every day we live until we reach that standard that Christ has set before us. And so Paul is urging us to live worthy in view of what God has done and in view of where God is taking the church. And, we, and we're urged to live worthy because God is worthy of a lifestyle like that. He's worthy of the sacrifice and, and what it takes in the life of a believer to lay themselves down he urges us to live worthy because this is how the church is built and edified. When the church realizes as individuals that what we must do in order to become and mature and grow as the body of Christ. And we are urged to live worthy because the world is blessed and brought to salvation through watching the body of Christ love one another just as Christ loves us. And we can do it through restraining the Lord, relying on the Holy Spirit, To remembering what unites us. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you that you are working and growing your church. God, we thank you that your love found us right where we were. God, we never would have made it to you. We never would have reached it. We never could have earned our way into any kind of right standing with you, but in your great mercy, you came and you found us. found us in our mess, you found us in our depravity and you called us and you chose us. 
But Lord, I thank you that you take us beyond that point. You don't leave us in that place. You have filled us with your power and your grace to become all that you've created us to be. And through the help of your Holy Spirit, we can be humble. We can be gentle. We can be patient. We can bear with one another. Lord, I just thank you that your spirit produces these things inside of us. I thank you that as we grow in our strength and as we grow in our understanding of your love, God, that you continue to bring that out of us. Listen, this morning, if you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus. The Bible says that every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us ever could live a, 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 a right enough life. And so because of that, Jesus came and he paid the price for your sin, for your shortcoming. The Bible says he took that, he defeated it, he rose from the dead and he sent it into heaven and he's preparing a home for us. And so if today you've never yielded to Jesus, you've never said, Jesus, I want that gift of salvation. The Bible says it's very simple in Romans. It says you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And that in that moment, through that confession and that believing in your heart that you are saved, you receive a new identity, you receive a new name, and you are filled with the grace and power to be who God's called you to be. And so if that's you today, and you say, I wanna give my life to Jesus, I'm gonna count to three in just a moment. And when I say three, you'll, you'll raise your hand. One, today's your day. Two, you're ready for a new identity. Three, that's you right now. If that's you, you wanna give your life to Christ. Lift your hand high real quick. Amen, I see that hand. Come on, we're gonna pray together as a church, as the body, as a family. Come on, let's pray together, church. Say, Jesus, I love you and I thank you for doing for me what I could not do for myself, for living, dying, and raising again to save me and to give me a new life. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate those who have made a decision today to give their life to Jesus. Now I wanna pray for you, church, and we're gonna to begin to worship for a few more moments because I believe the Holy Spirit is beginning heart work. Listen, we can, be, we can receive a word like this, but we need to sit in it sometimes and say, okay, Holy Spirit, I hear what you're calling me to do. Help me to do it. But I wanna pray for people to grow in humility, to grow in gentleness, to grow in patience. Listen, not, not one of us are gonna get this right tomorrow. Uh, it, 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 takes, it takes growing in the Holy Spirit. Come on, but let the Lord begin a new work in you. And I believe that what would happen with the church if we turned around tomorrow and says, you know what, I'm gonna engage with the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna be sensitive to what He wants me to do and how He wants me to live. And I'm gonna embrace humility tomorrow when I go to work. I'm gonna embrace humility in my conversations with one another. I'm gonna embrace patience and gentleness in my marriage and with my kids and with other church members and watch what the Lord will do. Amen. Come on, if you receive that, let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you, God, that you're doing a new thing in your church. God, I thank you that you're calling us higher. God, I thank you that you can do this and you are doing this in our church. And right now we begin to yield and we begin to surrender and we begin to come under the authority of scripture. And God, we ask you to be our Lord. We ask you to direct us and guide us. And God, we yield right now in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.